Welcome to the next in a series of Who's Who in Academic Emergency Medicine podcast, brought to you by SAM Rams. So welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Who's Who in Academic Emergency Medicine podcast. This is in collaboration between SAM Rams and SAM's Faculty Development Committee. My name is Hamza Ejaz. I am a second-year resident at the University of Cincinnati. And today, our guest is Dr. Kat Ogle. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Hamza. Yeah, it's awesome to have you here. So Dr. Ogle is an assistant professor at the George Washington University of School of Medicine and Health Sciences. She's a former nurse and a first-generation college graduate and physician. She's engaged in medical student, resident, and fellow education. And her roles include emergency ultrasound fellowship director, executive chair of the clinical competency committee for the residency, leading the medical education and leadership scholarly concentration, as well as the clinician as a medical educator course. She also co-founded her department's professional development, women's professional development group, and she's been actively involved in SAEM and AWAEM as the didactics chair from 2018 to 2020, and is now the vice president of education for AWAEM. As co-chair of AWAEM, she serves on the Women's Task Force, and as that, they have developed a toolkit in 2020 that serves as a resource for women in academic emergency medicine. Her professional interests include point-of-care ultrasound, medical education, mentorship, female leadership, and promotion. And on top of all this, she's able to balance her academic and professional responsibilities with her role as a single mother. That's Pretty darn incredible, Dr. Opal. It's an honor to have you here. So <laughs> look forward so to much. our conversation. Yeah, <laughs> let's start. Great. Let's start at the very beginning. I know it's been probably a while since you've been asked this, but why emergency medicine? What drew you to it? So when I was a nurse, I was a night shift nurse. And so I was familiar with shift work. And the concept of having a job where I could go to work do my work, and then go home was very appealing to me. And having been a critical care nurse coming into medical school, I had an idea that I would either be going into critical care, emergency medicine, or interventional radiology. And I know those sound very different, but in my mind, those were like very procedural-based experiences or or careers. And that sort of falls back on my aha moment as a nurse, because I became a nurse with the intention of going to medical school. And I wanted to, because I am the first in my family to go to college, I only knew that medical school was really long and really expensive. And before investing both the time and the money to do so, I wanted to be sure it was really what I wanted to do. So I'm in the ICU and I'm helping an anesthesiologist put in a Swan-Gans catheter. And for those who've never heard of that, it's a a specialized line that goes into the patient's heart to measure the pressures and the flow inside their heart. And I worked in a cardiac ICU, so this was important for these types of patients. And the whole process of putting this line in, I had memorized every step because I was fascinated by it. And I just had this moment as I was handing equipment over for each step to the anesthesiologist, man, I want to be doing this stuff. I don't want to be assisting it. And I always had more questions about like why they were doing certain procedures, why they were using certain medications, and ultimately realized that I wanted to be the person making those decisions. So then 
we came to the clinical years of medical school and I was in this novel longitudinal curriculum at the time at GW. So the first half of the year was spent on the inpatient side. And the second half of the year, you had longitudinal experiences in primary care, OBGYN, pediatrics, and emergency medicine. And what this allowed me to see was that, you know, on the inpatient side, I did like a dedicated six weeks of surgery, you know, six weeks of medicine. But then when I did my outpatient stuff, I was doing a different thing every single day. So like Monday was my pediatrics day. Tuesday was my primary care day. Wednesday was my OB day. And then Thursday and Friday and Saturday, I would do ER shifts. And this sort of opened my eyes to the fact that I liked switching patient populations and pathology. I felt very at home doing that. And when it came to trying to decide ultimately between emergency medicine and critical care, because I realized that radiology ultimately was not going to fit my personality, that I wanted to have more sort of regular patient interaction. So I did a ICU rotation at GW. And the ICU rotation at GW is an interdisciplinary experience. So it is run by surgery, internal medicine, anesthesiology, and emergency medicine now. It wasn't emergency medicine and critical care back then, but it is now. And so you got to see so many different approaches and sort of ways in which these interdisciplinary communities can come together to serve their patients. But what I realized is that while I do love critical care, it's not the only thing that I love. And I really, really engage with trying to do patient education for patients who have limited access to care, trying to help them understand their disease processes. And for young people that are coming into the ED with STDs and other, you know, injuries related to violent encounters and whatnot, I really enjoy sort of sitting down with them and helping them to understand ways in which they can approach their life and their interaction, which will be positive for their health. And so that was the the ultimate sort of decision point for me for emergency medicine. Yeah, and I think that echoes what a lot of people who ultimately decide to go into emergency medicine say as well, where they like the patient education being at the bedside, seeing varying patient presentations and, you know, from all walks of lives as well. On top of that, being able to be procedurally oriented and being able to do a lot of those procedures that, you know, initially interested to you as well. In terms of, I know you've been involved with ultrasound, you know, you're the fellowship director at GW. You've talked a lot about your involvement with medical education and medical students. How did these interests come to be? Like, where, what drew you to that? So I have always been drawn to education in general. So this goes back to my career as a nurse. I was a peer educator and, you know, I was a preceptorship lead, sort of helping the new nurses learn the ropes and whatnot. And then going into medical school, I was, again, very focused on wanting to be a teacher because for me, the way my mind works, and and I think there are some other folks out there that would agree with me. If you can actually teach something and get it to stick for your learners, then I think that that has taken you to another level of understanding and comprehension. And so it's a little bit self-serving, but I think it's also serving the community of learners in that if I can teach something, then I clearly have a solid understanding of this concept. So going into my fourth year, there's an elective at GW 
called tox. So, and it's not toxicology with it, which everybody gets a little confused when we hear, they hear us talking about it. So tox stands for teaching and learning knowledge and skills. And this is an elective which was created about 27, 28 years ago at GW by Dr. Blatt and Dr. Greenberg. And it talks about educational methodology, how to teach a skill, how to give feedback and all of this. And at that time, the elective was an opportunity for me to do teaching with the first and second year medical students because all of the talks students act as the physical diagnosis mentors for first and second year students. And so I did that when I was a fourth year because I was like, yeah, I want to learn all this stuff. I want to understand the the concepts behind why we do things the way we do, why we teach things the way we do. And so that was sort of the framework there. And the other thing is, is at GW, there's something called the Master Teacher Leadership Development Program. And this was a program that multiple of my mentors had actually gone through and I sort of envisioned myself doing it eventually as I moved into my academic career. So then comes intern year and intern year first rotation. Well, my first rotation was ultrasound. So I fell in love with it right away. And I was amazed at not only the practical aspects of it in that you could take it to the bedside and make a diagnosis right then and there, But the other part of it is it also fosters a different type of connection with your patient than simply doing a physical exam or simply doing a history or holding someone's hand. You actually can show them their insides. And so for for this person who's really worried that there's something wrong with them, you can talk them through their basic anatomy and sort of see the, the worry and the stress melt away from their face. Obviously, just to sort of disclaimer, point of care ultrasound is not a comprehensive tool. You can miss small things and it is designed from an emergency medicine perspective to answer very binary questions. But sometimes when you have a patient who is low risk for actual pathology and you can just show them their anatomy, it makes them feel a lot better. And I think that it enhances the the doctor-patient relationship. And so I fell in love with it as a tool. And then I realized that it was a tool that I could put in my meta tool belt. And so the two things blend together perfectly for me and what I needed to do for the foundation of my academic career. It's very helpful and you know, amazing to hear. In terms of your involvement as the fellowship director for your ultrasound uh, fellowship, for those residents who are interested in pursuing ultrasound as a fellowship down the road uh, for senior residents, what advice would you have for them or what recommendations would you provide for them when they're evaluating you know, the numerous ultrasound fellowships that there are across the country, what should they be looking for, stuff like that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think the first question is why ultrasound fellowship? So the Residency Review Commission has very strict guidelines and expectations for what a graduating emergency medicine physician should be competent doing. And so the purpose of an ultrasound fellowship is not to make you good at ultrasound. It will make you good at advanced emergency ultrasound and sort of those advanced things that are not necessarily along the pure binary spectrum that every single emergency medicine trained person should be able to do. What an emergency medicine ultrasound fellowship does for you is it provides you the back 
story, if you will, and the foundational understanding behind being a leader in ultrasound. And that may be a leader from a medical education perspective on the undergraduate med ed side, like as the director of ultrasound curriculum in the medical school. It may lead you to a leadership position within a residency, being sort of the person, the point person who's responsible for educating the residents. It could be to be a leader on a faculty standpoint, you know, in an academic setting, trying to get your more seasoned faculty up to speed on being credentialed for certain point of care, some modalities. It could be from a non-academic leadership perspective. So you could be the point person to run an ultrasound program in a community ED. You could be a leader on a hospital-wide platform where you are responsible for integrating point-of-care ultrasound use with internal medicine, anesthesia, ICU, and the like. So, I mean, there are people in my life, in my sort of circle, that do all of those things. And so your ultrasound fellowship has four pillars. The first is clinical ultrasound. And so that is not only making sure that you have a solid foundation for the core applications, but also some advanced applications, particularly procedural ultrasound, nerve blocks, TEE, that kind of thing. Then there is the research arm also. So you really learn how to create a research question around point of care ultrasound, whether it's med ed research or clinical research and go through the IRB and put together a project and collect data and ultimately produce, you know, scholarship to enhance the academic community and their understanding of point of care ultrasound. Then there is the administrative arm. And so in the administrative arm, you really learn the inner workings of an ultrasound division. And that goes from how to purchase ultrasound equipment, how to maintain ultrasound equipment, how to engage in relationships in all of the layers that you need to within your hospital, which includes IT, biomed, risk management, and your EMR. Then there's also how do you track and provide quality assurance on your ultrasound images that are obtained in your department. What is your approach? What are your policies? How do you give people feedback? And then how do you manage misses? or near misses, right? And then further, how do you put together an educational program, right? And so then that leads over to the education arm where all emergency ultrasound fellowships are expected to help their fellows to learn how to teach and learn how to put this stuff together. At GW in particular, we have a focused curriculum which parallels some of the stuff that I do in my med ed world, but it really goes down to educational methodology, curriculum design, assessment methods, and the like. And making sure that you're providing opportunities not only for your fellows to teach, but also to give them feedback on their teaching and also help them reflect on their own teaching. I think when senior residents are thinking about whether or not they want to do an ultrasound fellowship, I think you have to at least consider what your five and 10 year vision for your ultimate job is. Like if you could write a description for your dream job, what would it look like? And is being a leader in ultrasound of any of the sort of 
levels that I talked about in your dream job description. Because if it is, then you probably should pursue ultrasound. But if it's not, you can be a phenomenal academician or clinical emergency medicine doc without doing an ultrasound fellowship. You know, but if you're looking for ways in which to enhance your toolbox from those four pillars that I talked about, then ultrasound fellowship probably is something you should consider. As far as like how to make the decision about where to go, I think some of that has to has to align with a lot of the stuff that we talk about with residency match. Is the geography important to you? It's only a year of your life and it's a fast year. Now there are some ultrasound fellowships that do two years. I think UCLA has a two-year ultrasound fellowship because they involve also, I think, an MPH. But for the one-year fellowships, you come on, you get credentialed, you start doing your scanning, you put together your research project, you study for your boards, you take your boards, you start looking for a job, and then you graduate. Like that's eight things that you have to do in 12 months. <laughs> it's short. So in that way, I don't think geography is actually that helpful unless you're using your fellowship as an audition for an academic job. And if that is what you have in mind, you probably should talk to the program about what their capacity is for building their faculty in their ultrasound division. The other thing is look at, look at the leaders within the ultrasound fellowship and see how they can help you build your dream job. Like this is, this is forming you into part of who you want to be professionally. So look at the people that are producing within that department. If you want to be a clinical lead with a high administrative side, you probably should be looking at a fellowship that focuses heavily on that or that has resources and mentors that that focus on that. If you are passionate about education, you need to go somewhere where you have opportunities to teach and opportunities to get feedback on your teaching, right? Similarly, if you are a research powerhouse and you want to do clinical and med-ed research on an ultrasound sort of platform, go somewhere where there's mentorship for that. And, and so it's hard to assess mentorship in a virtual interview. So that's what, what we've been doing with, with ultrasound fellowships this year. So the, the back work that you have to do, sort of the background work that you have to do is you have to look at those ultrasound faculty and what they've produced academically and what their roles are within the institution. You can certainly ask those questions during your fellowship, and I encourage you to do so. But those would be the things that I would think about with regard to ultrasound fellowship. Great. I'm sure that's all that was really helpful advice for the learner, uh, listeners out there interested in ultrasound. Lastly, I want to touch on your role within AWAEM, you know, you've co-authored the Chronicles of Women and Women White Coats. Um, you've spoken on national platforms, including Feminem. You know, you serve on the AWAEM board. So you've been pretty heavily involved and in also both at your institutional level as well and at GW's Women's Professional Development Task Force and group as well. How do you think residents, medical students who are interested in making an impact in this field? And how do you think they can help in terms of making that change or helping with creating that momentum of change moving forward with obviously the discrepancies and inequities that we have within our field and within mm-hmm. the world of medicine, unfortunately? So I think that you can, you can have a large big picture vision for what you want to do. It's also really important to think about 
what is accomplishable, what is achievable, what you can make an impact on locally. And, and so there's a couple of things that I would, that I would say to keep in mind with regard to this. If there is something you are super passionate about that has to do with something that maybe is not functioning optimally within your organization or your institution, then see whether or not there are some communities that you can get involved in on a local level. Now, I will put some caution on that for folks who are graduating residency and moving into junior faculty positions because it can be it can be tempting to say yes to a lot of things and it can be tempting to get on six different committees to have a positive impact i would be very strategic about committees that you seek out opportunities for and if you are starting at an institution you don't know what committees to get involved in then have a conversation with your chair or your division chief, whoever your nearest mentor is, with regard to your interests and let them know, I am interested in having a positive impact on this thing. Because the the leadership in your department is going to know many more people usually if you're not going to your, your home institution and allow you to connect with those people. With regard to having a larger impact on a regional scale or on a national scale. I was incredibly intimidated at the thought of being involved with a national committee. Somehow in my mind, being involved with a national committee meant you had to be a subject matter expert or you had to be well-published or you had to be well-known in order to get there. And I think that this is this may be a this may be a gendered assumption because I am a woman and and if you look at the literature behind why someone some women in a professional setting make decisions for their careers in a certain way, sometimes it has to do with our own perceptions of ourselves. But what I will tell you is that getting involved with national committees and national academies and whatever within Society of Academic Emergency Medicine or ASAP, things like that, is not difficult and should not be as intimidating as you make it out to be in your own mind. It is an opportunity for you to connect with people who are outside of your worldview, which provides a ton of perspective and I think really provides fodder for brainstorming on how you can approach problems in a unique way. I think as someone who's homegrown at GW Medical School Residency Fellowship faculty, there are some problems or some challenges within our institution that I have run out of solutions for. But if I sit in a, in a national meeting and, and share my experiences and then find out that other people are having similar challenges and they tell us what we've tried, and I'm like, oh, we haven't tried that at our institution. It again, it stimulates conversation and it forces you to think about things from a different perspective. The other thing is talking to people who are in other institutions will also force you to ask different questions, right? And so if nothing else, getting involved and talking to people within emergency medicine, which feels like a small community to me, but who are not in your institution really is going to expand your ability to problem solve and to troubleshoot. 
beyond that sort of next step is you could have the opportunity to be in a leadership position. So I got the job as the didactics chair for AWEM because I went to the pre-conference meeting for AWEM. I was interested in didactics and nobody else wanted to do it. And I was like, are you sure you want me to be the didactics chair? I mean, I've, I've never done any of this like national work, you know, is this really, is this really be my job. And they're like, yeah, you'll be great. I was like, oh, okay. But what I didn't realize is that there are a ton of people in AWEM who've already been there and were readily and enthusiastically supportive of me and my mission and vision for doing what I wanted to do and were there as resources when I had questions. And so if you have questions or if you're even a little bit hesitant about doing something like this, and this could be getting involved in RAMS, this could be getting involved in ADIEM, and this could be in getting involved in AEUS. Like if you need a push, just send me a DM on, on Twitter. My DMs are open. I'm happy to sort of go back and forth with you about any concerns or hesitations or trepidations that you have. I think the other thing that this this provides an opportunity to to do is to also hear about ways in which you can advance your career. And so I think the thing with SAM is as a community, we're trying to enhance the academic capital, um, scholarly capital, within the entire EM community, the academic EM community. And so we're trying to get better at what we're doing. Like it is a process. It is an evolution. We're always trying to get better. We're always trying to improve. How can we do things in a more evidence-based fashion? How can we better serve our communities? How can we better serve our learners? And and so just do it. That's what I would say. I think what I was starting to, to get to the point about though, is that it also provides you an opportunity to think about how you can be academically productive and how you can capture what you're doing, the work that you're doing as academic capital for your promotion and advancement in your institution. I say this specifically because I'm going up for promotion. You heard it. You heard it first. You didn't really hear it first. I've talked to other people about it, but I'm going up for academic promotion this year. And so I'm, you know, with the help of my colleagues that I've made relationships with within AWEM and SAM, I am finding how to capture the work that I've done so that it makes sense to the promotions committee. Because the promotions committee, depending on your institution, it may be some basic science folks. It may be someone who is completely outside of clinical medicine and doesn't have any idea what point of care ultrasound is. They're like, what is all this ultrasound business. Why should I care about this? Why is this academic capital? And so I think that that's another reason just to sort of get get involved on a national level. No, I totally agree. And I strongly encourage everyone who's listening to get involved at the national organization level to some extent, you know, just, just step forward and try to get involved to some extent with any sort of national leadership or national organization with emergency medicine, just because it's going to be a positive experience. You're going to learn more and it's going to help you one way or another. So I strongly encourage uh, to all the listeners to kind of seek that opportunity. I think that just about wraps up our time for the interview. So I really want to thank you, Dr. Rogel, for taking the time out of your busy schedule to chat with me and to kind of share your thoughts on all these interesting topics. To everyone who's been listening along, we really appreciate your attention and thank you so much for everything that you do. Till next time, everyone. 
Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, pleasure to have you.